Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, one day closer to college football. How about that? I'll be making the trip to Nashville this weekend. Going to make it a, a, a full weekend. Going to go see the Bulldogs beat Vanderbilt and then go watch Jeffrey Simmons and the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. I've never been to a Titans game. The only ball game that I've been to in Nissan Stadium was when Mississippi State played in the Music City Bowl. So looking forward to that. I had a good friend reach out and said, hey, are you spending the night in Nashville on Saturday? I said, I wasn't planning to, but I love Nashville. It's my favorite southern city. I said, well, I've got a ticket for you if you want to go to the ballgame on Sunday. So I'm now staying overnight in Nashville on Saturday. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to getting up there, watch the Bulldogs play. It's been a long time since I have been to uh, cover Mississippi State play football at Vanderbilt. You know, to kind of put that in perspective, we talked a little bit about, you know, the rotation hadn't really worked well for us. We have not played Vandy and Nashville since 2009. And that, to put that in perspective, that was Dan Mullen's first year. Tyson Lee was the starting quarterback. That's how long it's been since we played Nashville. Of course, we won that ball game 15-3. It was not a lot of fun. It wasn't. We were ugly. And I remember what Dan Mullen said in postgame. He goes, man, it's really difficult to win a Division I football game. And it is. But we, we let those guys hang around a little bit in that ballgame. Bulldog defense played really well. But uh, that to kind of put in perspective, you know, it's been a dozen years now. And that's kind of what's wrong with the SEC scheduling model. Look at how many players have graduated, you know, from Mississippi State that never got a chance to go to Nashville and play Vanderbilt. And it's not just Vanderbilt. It's just the craziness of the rotation. We hadn't been up there in a dozen years. I mean, if that's not – evidence that there needs to be a change in our scheduling model I don't know what is there are a lot of other games you know kind of east versus west that don't get played very often and you know, that's that's the joy of playing in the SEC and so I've heard some things you know about scheduling that I think make a lot of sense you know the whole thing about let's have three permanent opponents and then you rotate everybody else and that gives everybody a chance over the course of their four-year career to play in every SEC venue that, to me, makes better sense. Rather than the entire conference and every sport kind of being restricted because of this stupid Tennessee-Alabama third Saturday in October stuff. Guys, let me tell you this. It means nothing. That game means nothing. Now, it used to mean something. It used to be a big deal back when the SEC didn't have parity within the league. You know, we don't have a whole lot now. But, you know, on any given Saturday, anybody can beat anybody. You know, back when... You know, Alabama and Tennessee were kind of the dominant teams in this league. Yeah, it made sense. Hey, the top two teams are going to play. Hey, you know what? Let's make this an annual tradition. Let's always play the third Saturday in October. That'll make it mean something. Hey, because, you know, we get – Alabama gets Van, gets uh, Auburn for the Iron Bowl, so that gives us a big game in October and then the big rivalry game in November. And then now we're all stuck with this. So fix it, Greg. Fix it. And so the way that you can fix that, we talk about the three permanent opponents – well, just look at Alabama. Well, then they could have Auburn, and they could have Tennessee, and then somebody else. Well, who do you pick? Well, somebody told me recently that about half of the top ten most rated games from TV numbers in the last several years, Alabama versus LSU. And if you don't think that matters in the grand scheme of things, you've got to kid yourself a little bit, too. Alabama against LSU, people want to tune in and watch that ball game. It's kind of what Alabama and Tennessee want to be. 
right? Because everybody in the league turns in to watch Alabama LSU. I don't think we have to put a name on it or put a traveling trophy or, or pick a date to have it every year. But I would like to see those games continue. I mean, as a fan of college football, don't you want to see those games? And, of course, the Nick Saban versus LSU thing kind of added a little bit of luster uh, to that series. But, um, yeah, so that makes perfect sense. So what does that mean for Mississippi State? You say, well, Steve, you know, that, that cool, that's cute. It helps Alabama's issues. They can maintain their two traditional rivalries and then join a, a, a more equitable rotation in the schedule. Well, I think State obviously would keep Ole Miss. I think that's – pretty much a done deal. I think Ole Miss would keep State and LSU and then, of course, pick up somebody, you know, from the East. Do they keep Vanderbilt? I mean, I would hate to see the battle of the Vanderbilts go away. But, you know, maybe that's not a fair and equitable schedule. Who knows? You know, but, uh, you know, the reality of it is, is let's say State gets Kentucky and Ole Miss and then we pick up somebody else kind of from the West, whether it be, you know, Auburn or LSU. And to me, LSU makes some sense. I'd prefer to play Auburn. You know, chances of us beating Auburn are a little bit better. But I think, you know, that model to me makes the most sense. I've seen all these pods and that sort of stuff, and and, uh, I guess in some ways you can kind of make that work. But, um, you know, some of the models I've seen for the pods are really kind of silly. I think the best thing to do is let's just, you know, have three permanent opponents and then rotate everybody because, you know, you're looking to not only enhance the value of the student-athlete experience but also the fan experience. I mean, aren't you guys excited to go to Austin, Texas and watch the Bulldogs play out there? I am. I've never seen a game in Norman, Oklahoma either. I'd love to be able to go up there and watch this play, but I don't want it to be, you know, once-in-a-lifetime type deal. If they're going to be in our conference, I don't want to have to be a dozen years between trips to Norman. I love Oklahoma. It's a great place. I had never been until a few years ago, and, uh, you know, I've been a handful of times since then. I love the people of Oklahoma. I, I love the – the, the landscape of Oklahoma, it's great. Been out there to the Hard Rock in Tulsa a handful of times. I've never had a bad experience there. If you're in the area, go by, see them. Let them house and feed you, entertain you. Been to some shows there. Saw, uh, let me think, who did I see there? I saw Vince Sevenfold and uh, Bullet from My Valentine there. It was great. It's been a wonderful time. And so I don't, I don't want to have to say, well, I, w- I don't get a chance to go see my friends in Oklahoma, but once every dozen years. Let's not make a special trip. You know, it's nice to be able to incorporate, you know, a ball game weekend around some other travel. And, and I, I'll tell you, for those of you that have never been, if you're ever in the state of Oklahoma, you owe it to yourself to go to Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. It changed my life. Really did. Really did. You owe it to yourself to go. Because there's just such a joy in you know, the people of Oklahoma. You can really tell they're, they're really one people. But, uh, but be that as it may, I don't mean to chase that rabbit trail for long, but the reality of it is is that, you know, we've got to do something – you know, with the schedule rotation that makes sense for everybody, not just a couple teams in the SEC. And we've all talked about, well, you know, it'd be the smart thing to do is move Auburn to the east and Missouri to the west. And that does make perfect sense. But then we've still got all this, quote, tradition. So stupid. You know, and I don't want to chase that either. But we've, I've had multiple shows about the scheduling rotation. But the latest thing that I've heard is there is some support for the three permanent opponents and then a regular rotation. And I think that makes the experience better for all of us. And I think it actually creates more, more equity in the league. Because how many years have we, have we said, hey, the West is 10 times better than the East? You know, like the middle team in the West could probably finish second in the East. You know, the East is getting better. But you know, I think about the baseball aspect of this thing as well. I mean, how many SEC regular season championships has Vandy won because they get the benefit of playing – 
traditionally the worst couple teams in the conference every single year because they don't they don't differentiate between you know, an SEC West win or an SEC East win. It's just an SEC win. Well, we don't get to play, you know, Kentucky and Missouri every year. We don't. And even though I think Kentucky will be better this year, you know, but Vanderbilt does. You know, we got to go through this meat grinder of the West. We got to play LSU. We got to go play AM. And AM has really had some success at Mississippi State in Starkville in recent years, as we discussed back during baseball. We got to play Arkansas. We got to play Ole Miss. You know, if you're in the East, you got to deal with Florida. And that's really it. Now, Tennessee has been better uh, under Tony Vitello, but, you know, traditionally, Tennessee has not been a power. And so Vanderbilt's kind of stacked some wins because they're in the lesser division. And so if we change this, and I don't know if the baseball scheduling model changes with football, but I think there is uh, you know, maybe one of those things maybe you look at. You know, I do think the rotation for baseball is a little more fair. Like, we'll get to go to Georgia this year. I'm excited about that. Never covered a baseball game in Georgia. After this year, if I'm not mistaken, I will, I will have punched the final dot on my SEC baseball bingo card. I will have covered a game at every SEC stadium after this year. If things go uh, as planned, you know, you never know what life's going to bring you. But that's the plan anyway. So I just wanted to share that with you before we kind of get into the show today. We've got, uh, we're going to preview Vanderbilt. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the history also, too. Have a pretty good win. You know, a, a, an important win for Mississippi State. Feature one of our great uh, Bulldog players from years ago. A guy that's still very active with Mississippi State's M Club. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. Love those people, love the food, love the quality of the experience when you go in there. It's not just a place to go break bread. It's a chance to go visit with your friends in a great vibe, in a great atmosphere, whether you want an adult beverage or maybe you don't. Maybe it's a family night out. Maybe you get the spring rolls to get things going. I highly recommend that. And then find your own favorites. If you just want the traditional, great American restaurant-quality hamburger, Get the Bulldog. You will not leave disappointed. But if you want to get on the wild side a little bit, let me encourage you. Get the Pimentology Add Bacon. Trust me. Trust me. And when you're done, get that great bread pudding or perhaps a chocolate shake to go or both. I don't know what you're doing with your life. You know, maybe you want both. Three great locations to serve you right here at University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then the brand new one. Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Go by and check it out. So many great reviews, too. So many of you are going and having a great experience. Be sure to tell your friends. Bulldog Burger Company is a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. So let's jump into, we've had some media since we guys were together. We had Mike Leach on Monday. Uh, you know, Mike didn't appear to be in the best of moods. And after getting beat 49-9, to I don't blame him. I wasn't either, Mike. I wasn't in the best of moods either. Uh, I think collectively the fan base wasn't. You know, he was kind of short and direct with some answers at time for the questions. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I have noticed, and maybe it's just me, you know, we do post-game after Saturday, and then, you know, we get into Monday, and traditionally it's like, okay, anything you saw in the film review that kind of stood out, and sometimes you get an injury report, not under Mike Leach, but traditionally that's how it goes. And then, you know, we kind of get into preview of the next opponent. But for some reason, I don't know, and maybe it's – Maybe it's part of it's me. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about last Saturday rather than the next Saturday. And so that's one of the things that I'm kind of conscious of now. I'm, I'm going to probably do a better job of that, do my best anyway. Because you guys know we got beat 49-9 at home, right? You're ready to move on, and so should we. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, do you on, on Monday and Tuesday, do you want to read another story 
about getting beat 49-9. I don't, I don't want to write one. I don't feel like you guys want to read one. You want me to say, Steve, hey, are we going to be able to beat Vanderbilt? What does Coach Leach think, Leach think about their secondary? What does he think about their team? To me, that's more important. I can't tell anybody else what questions to ask. I don't know what everybody else is working on. But I'm going to do my best to try to move that thing forward. I'm not going to have this revisionist history because sometimes, a lot of times, I'm the first or second question at the press conference. And so, you know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, well, what did you see in the review? Uh, you know, does it matter? I mean, unless there's – you know, it's the same old thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's all going to be coach speak, and that's not to be critical of Mike Leach or any of the Mississippi State coaches because all coaches are like that, you know. Yeah, to, to kind of illustrate that point, I was on the uh, Clark Lee press conference on Tuesday. They actually have their Meet the Media Day on, on a Tuesday, where we were on Monday. And we spent about 20 minutes with Clark Lee essentially conducting an autopsy on what went wrong on the last offensive and defensive possessions for Vanderbilt in the game against South Carolina. You may recall Vanderbilt had a late lead, couldn't convert a first down, had to punt. South Carolina takes over with a minute 36 to go, and it takes them less than a minute to go down and score, and they win the game. And we spent about 20 minutes going through that. And I was sitting there thinking, this is so irritating. So I kind of saw it from your point of view. I'm like, you know, can we move on and talk about the Mississippi State game? He got one question about Mississippi State. One question. And then I had to take his answer and kind of break it up into a, you know, into a couple different things just to kind of share with you. So I'm, I'm going to share with you the, the few things that he said, even though essentially a lot of it boils down to you know, a lot of coach speak. But um, let me share this with you. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll save you a click, I guess. But um, – so here's what he said basically about, you know, the about playing at home. We're excited to be back home. I think this is another great opportunity for us to learn how to play at home and defend our home stadium and to develop a style of play that engages our fan base. That all sounds good, right? I mean, but it doesn't really pertain to Mississippi State. On facing Mississippi State, Mississippi State is a team that is well-versed in its systems on both sides of the ball that are unique. That is true. We run the air raid. And, of course, the 3-3-5. Mississippi State, uh, they are able to manage the game and be in close games late. They've been able to win. Coach Mike Leach does a nice job. On offense, they're possessing the ball with their passing attack. They can also be explosive. He's right on both of those things. I would like to see more explosiveness, wouldn't you? And, again, that's not being negative. That's just the reality of it. You know, we can methodically move the ball down the field, but it would be nicer for once in a while to get a chunk play. Now, a lot of that, of course – you know, is about how teams are playing us defensively. When teams go man-to-man, we can get them. Teams stay in zone, we got to be a little more, you know, measured what we do. On the Mississippi State defense, defensively, it's helter-skelter. It's a ton of movement. They've got big physical front. They move around a bunch. That's going to create negative yardage snaps. The challenge for us offensively is how to get a rhythm, how to get the ball into space. They're going to make that challenging, and we're going to have to come up with a great plan to get that done. Mississippi State is a good team, but it's going to be a great challenge. We're excited to be able to do that at home. And that's it. So basically a half-hour press conference, and that's all you got about Mississippi State. Now, as Colin Duncan said last night, Mississippi State starting safety Colin Duncan. Really like him a lot. Very gregarious, outgoing, well-spoken young man. Had a brother that played at Vanderbilt. Comes from a very educated family. The guy's a great ambassador for Mississippi State. He's the kind of guy you can see going to media days and, you know, kind of being a star at media days because he is so well-spoken. 
But he spoke, you know, like if I'm Vanderbilt and I'm those guys on that team, I'm thinking, hey, you know, we should have won that game last year. You know, we should have won that game. We can win this thing, and now we get it at our place. And so I, I, I understand that Vanderbilt has probably got some renewed vigor this week. You know, that, you know, every week is important. But it's only human nature to look on the schedule and say, well, well who are we playing this week? Oh, yeah, we can get those guys. You know, because deep down in our hearts, you, you kind of know it, that just about everybody collectively in the Mississippi State family last week said, oh, we got Alabama. We can't beat those guys. And so now all of a sudden, Vanderbilt thinks, hey, we got a winnable game, man. We've won a couple of games this year, kind of in dramatic fashion. We should have won last week against South Carolina on the road. Well, now we're at our place against a team that, you know, has kind of been up and down. Maybe we catch them down and we can get them. And so we're going to get a great effort from Vanderbilt. There is absolutely no question about that. And I think it's important uh, for our fans to kind of expect, I, I expect a real tussle in that first half. I don't think there's any question. We need to get a good start. And a lot of that's going to start offensively. You know, I mean, that's the, we've got to come out of the gate. We've got to be able to make some good things happen. We've got to be able to, you know, move the chains. You know, I, I don't expect a huge crowd there at Vanderbilt. I know you guys don't either. I mean, you know, it, even when they've been good, they have not really supported football there. They don't support baseball, and they've won national championships there. You know, that, those are things you kind of look at and you kind of wonder about. I mean, it just – that make a lot of sense to me, but uh, but it is what it is. So we need you guys to be there. Of course, no cowbells allowed on the road in the SEC. Be there and be loud. The Bulldogs are going to need you. It is a great trip to a great southern city, and it's a 3 p.m. kick. So you can, you know, if you want to, you can come stay Friday night, get up, go to the ball game, and still have Saturday night to have a little entertainment as well. I know many of you are kind of making the double dip like me and going to see the Titans, but um, the reality of it is it's a very winnable game for us. And so we need to make sure that we're doing our best to bring our best effort. Now, Austin Williams said last night, I asked him specifically about, you know, Will Rogers, you know, like, you know, your roommates with a guy, your good friends, what do you do to kind of pick him up? And, you know, and he just kind of goes on to say, you just keep doing what you do. He said, there's enough noise out there, you know, on social media. There's always people that have opinions. And that's one thing that I think about sometimes too. You know, these are young people and think about this when you're in high school. I mean, it's like, if you're the starting quarterback in high school, especially from a winning program, you're the guy. You are the big man on campus. Everybody wants to know you. Everybody wants to hang out with you. Girls want to date you. You know, it's a, it's a different deal. Well, you get into this meat grinder of a conference in the Southeastern Conference, and let's say that you're developing. You're not an elite player. And so they get some fan criticism really for the first time. Everybody has haters in life, right? Everybody in some respects. I guess if you don't, maybe you've never – maybe done anything but you know there's always somebody that's jealous or envious of other people and so maybe you deal a little bit of that in high school just a little bit but when you get into college and you get on the big stage and you get on television and you get in front of you know these huge crowds the haters are going to multiply just the reality of life things grow exponentially it's the price of fame right and so how they handle that is rather interesting you know and it's like sometimes I think Will might be a little bit too conscious of the noise but again he's learning to deal with it for the first time I know when Dak Prescott was here you know Dak you know had some struggles a lot of people didn't understand the things that he was dealing with with his mom being ill didn't fully appreciate it didn't I I remember we had he had a terrible game at South Carolina terrible game at South Carolina there's no question about it went out there one of the worst games of his career and I remember reading the commentary then. Hey, Dak, isn't it? Hey, you guys are wrong. This guy can't do it. 
we got to find a way to get Tyler Russell healthy. Dak's not going to be able to do it. The day later, his mom died. And so I think it's important sometimes let's give people some room to be human, okay? And I know some people, well, you know, Steve, you, know, you get too preachy on here. Well, and that's not what I'm trying to suggest. It's just sometimes I think it's easy to forget these guys are not professional athletes. That's not to say there's not a standard they have to live up to. In many ways, it's kind of toughening them up for life, right? Because if you or I, don't, we don't produce, we, you know, we're, we're done, right? We lose our jobs, got to go out and do something else. And so there is a process that we all go through as we mature to be able to deal with that sort of stuff. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't really care what anybody says about me now. And if you'd, if you'd asked me that in my early 20s, I'd be ready to fight, man. I mean, just some stranger said, make some random comment about you. You're ready to go. You want to defend yourself. Because at that point, you're still kind of insecure in life, right? You grow and mature a little bit, and you realize that what those other people say about you doesn't even matter. And so social media has kind of brought that more to the forefront. And I'm eager to see if that doesn't speed up that process a little bit more because people are exposed to that negativity a little earlier in life than maybe they were when we were kids. But, um, but the reality of it is is that, you know, Will Rogers, again, has played one year of football, and uh, there is still going to be some up and down. The failures on offense against Alabama are plentiful. But I think the first thing that I would start with is that Alabama's really good. They're really good. The number two thing I would say is that Alabama was a refocused team coming out off a loss that had no margin for error. Now, Texas A&M is really not a better football team than Mississippi State. We've proven that on the field in their backyard, right? And some would say, well, maybe they were looking ahead a little bit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they were thinking. This is what happened. The reality of it is we beat them on the field. The reality of it is we should have beat them worse than we did. So we're not a bad football team. We're not a good football team. Not yet. But we went out and played like a bad football team on Saturday. And maybe because the pressure of thinking, you know what, we got to go play a perfect game is the issue. That's the thing about sports. You know, when you play loose, you usually play well. When you play tight, you usually get your, your brains beat in, which is what happened to us. And so when I look at these offensive issues, there is plenty of blame to go around. Did Will make some bad throws? Yes, he did. Did Will have a lot of pressure in his face because the offensive line struggled to pick up their blitz package? Yes, he did. Did Will make some good throws to some guys in open space and they dropped the football? Yes, they did. So this is not just a Will Rogers problem. This is a Mississippi State offensive issue. And it'd be one thing, I look back in hindsight, you know, as well as we played at A&M, we still left some points out there. But it's interesting we are a results-based society. You know, Will played exceptionally well at A&M. We win the ball game, But it wasn't just Will. The people around him played really well. And that's what has to happen. You know, they always say the quarterback gets too much credit when you win and too much blame when you lose. And that's the reality of it as well. So we just need Will to go out and play within himself. we got to protect better. Now, granted, we're not going to seem the same level of athletes that we saw last week. And I've said all week to some of my friends, and I think you guys would agree, you cannot make an objective assessment of your team based on how they play Alabama. You just can't. Or Georgia. You just can't. Right now, those guys are just in a different league. Now, you can compare yourself against A&M. You compare yourself against Kentucky. You know, teams that are similarly situated. But football is about matchups. And Alabama and Georgia, those teams are going to be favorable in every matchup. 
Yeah, I would venture to say that it was a bigger fluke that A&M beat Alabama than it was that Mississippi State beat A&M because I think A&M is a lot closer to Mississippi State than they are Alabama. I think that's the reality of that situation. But you start doing these, you know, cross-team comparisons, you, you, you drive yourself silly because, you know, it, it's the teams don't have the same level of personnel. Each team has different strengths and different weaknesses. You know, football is about matchups. You know, we're going to talk about, you know, we previewed a weekend on Friday – you know, I take a look at this LSU Ole Miss game. That's a bad matchup for Ole Miss. You can say, well, you know, Steve, LSU's kind of struggling a little bit. You know, yeah, that's true. They beat Florida last week. Let me remind you of that. And they found their running game. Ole Miss stinks against a run. And now all of a sudden, you've got a line of scrimmage coach like Ed Orgeron that wants to run the football and exert their will. And now all of a sudden, they're running the football with some confidence. That offensive line had their best game of the year. And now all of a sudden, you know, Matt Corral's a little bit dinged up. It's not a good matchup for Ole Miss. A team that can't stop the run against a team that suddenly found it. Now, you got to ask yourself, is that the outlier? You know, they just catch Ty Grantham in Florida slipping. I would submit to you just for the same reasons that uh, it's difficult to uh, assess Mississippi State's performance against Alabama. I would submit to you that Florida probably has a much greater collection of athletes on defense than Ole Miss does. So if LSU can have a running back run for a school record against Florida, what's to say he can't have a good game against Ole Miss? Not to say he's going to duplicate that performance. But again, it's about matchups. You know, when I began to think about our team defensively, you know, what's a bad matchup for us? Well, you know, teams that are balanced can be a bad matchup for us. You know, we have to we do best when we put the game in the hands of the quarterback. We stop the run, make the quarterback beat us. How many quarterbacks can beat us? Well, Bryce Young. He beat us. You look at a situation in Memphis, you know, we, we basically dominated that game with the exception of that fluke punt deal and uh, the trick play. We put the game in the quarterback, and we didn't finish the ball game. Now, you go back and look at, you know, second half at Louisiana Tech game, and we kind of stopped feeling sorry for ourselves. We put the game in the hands of the quarterback. And so when I begin to look down the rest of our schedule, it's like, you know, who kind of scares you a little bit? Well, Matt Corral scares you a little bit. Guy's really talented. But how many quarterbacks are we going to play that can elevate the team around them without the benefit of a strong running game? We went to Texas A&M. Zach Calzada was not where he needed to be. We put the game in his lap, and we won the football game. So when we go to Vanderbilt this weekend, we're going to put the game in Mike Wright's lap. As we learned on Tuesday, Mike Wright will start in place uh, of their regular starter due to injury, um, Kenny Seals. And Wright started the game against South Carolina and, and had some pedestrian numbers, you know, but he provides a different element. We haven't played a lot of dual-threat quarterbacks. People forget we did play one against Louisiana Tech. So we have played some. but So it, it changes the dynamic of the defense a little bit. Not sure which defensive coaches we get tonight, but I plan to ask them about that. When you have to account for another hat in the running game, it changes your approach a little bit, changes your game plan. You know, Bryce Young – you heard me say it on Monday, guy's outstanding. He's better than I thought, I mean, honestly. And that guy put up some big numbers. But to see how he handled the Mississippi State pressure, because we brought some real heat, and a lesser quarterback would have probably been sacked eight, nine, ten times. But Bryce Young had the athleticism and the arm strength to kind of buy some time and, and uh, kind of get around a little bit and evade the pressure and complete the pass. We're not going to see many quarterbacks the rest of this year that have that same level of ability. And, again, yeah, I give Matt Corral a lot of credit. The guy's really improved. He's the guy that scares me a little bit. 
It really does. And so we've got to find a way to uh, kind of do, I guess, in many respects, what Tennessee did, you know, make him want to run the football. Make him want to run the football. Don't let him sit out there and play pitch and catch. We're going to play the Egg Bowl in November. Right now we're getting ready to, to talk about Vanderbilt. But before we do, let's get into today's top ten list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler, a good friend of mine, has been for a long time, and he is a mortgage professional. There's a lot of people in the mortgage industry. I was in the mortgage industry for a short time. I respect those people that uh, can stay in that energy for a while because uh, even though I was successful in it, man, it's a, it's a high burnout rate. And so there's a lot of newcomers that join the industry, and, you know, there's a lot of money in it, you know, if you're successful. But I would want to give my business to somebody that's been there and been through the wars, and that's Blair Chandler. A guy that's a bulldog through and through, season ticket holder, has a place here. Season ticket holder in multiple sports. Also been in the mortgage industry 21 years. Works for Fairway Mortgage. A reputable mortgage lender. Not some fly-by-night, some proud lender. This is a guy that's done it at the highest level with one of the best companies in the industry. Top 1% nationally in close ratio. This guy knows how to get loans closed. Refi is a good time to get it done. Rates are down. The economy is not. The economy's not doing well. There's a good chance we're going to see a, a boost in rates. So get your equity to work for you. Maybe you want to put it in a pool. Maybe you've got a wedding to pay for. There's always opportunities to refi. And also, too, maybe you're looking to buy a house. Or maybe you don't know if you're ready. Blair can help you get ready. Reach out to him at closewithblair.com. He'll be happy to help you. And listen, Maybe if you don't remember that, even though it's B-L-A-I-R, close with Blair, you can give Blair a phone call or a text. And I think that's important, too, because he's given you, he's allowed me to give you his personal cell number, not some office phone where, you know, you're going to sit behind a voicemail for, you know, a couple days. You're going to get the personal touch. Give Blair a call or text, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601 601- Five zero zero two three four four. And here's the kicker, too. Just because you're one of the cool kids that listens to the Boneyard, if you mention that to Blair, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a five or six hundred dollar value. A lot of fees involved in getting a mortgage loan done. Blair's going to help you out. It's because he likes to keep it in the family. Mention the Boneyard when you talk to Blair by text, by call, or email, and he will pay for your appraisal. Again, it's close at Blair.com. So I have had some of our R&B listeners reach out and say, Steve, you never do R&B anymore. My friend Demi Brown reached out and said, hey, Steve, I love the top 10, but I would like to hear some R&B every once in a while. And so, you know, here's the thing about me that you guys don't know. A lot of you guys look at me, you see the dredge, you see all the tattoos, you see that handsome face, and you think, you know what, this guy's only hung up like in the 80s, you know, rock. And you're wrong. You're wrong about that. Many of you know that that was also part of the early 90s dance scene in Baton Rouge. Had a great time. Didn't have dreads back then. Didn't have tattoos either. But I learned to love everything. I'm not a huge country music fan, but I respect like people like Brantley Gilbert that write and perform their own music. You know, I, I really dig it. I do. Believe it or not, I like some Sam Hunt stuff. And I know some of you guys that are, you know, these uh, country music purists. You don't like uh, Florida George Line and stuff. I, listen, I like anything that, that makes you smile a little bit. You know, there's some songs that make you feel something, make you feel nostalgic. Those are great. But, you know, I like tunes that kind of get me going. You know, so like when I hear Cruise by Florida Georgia Line with Nelly, I think, hey, it's a fun song. Let's go get this thing stuck, right? 
life sometimes is a little bit too serious. So music brings some joy to my life. I hope it does for you. So in honor of my R&B listeners, we're going back to the king of the New Jack Swing. We're going to do the Teddy Riley catalog today. And Teddy's been involved with some of the best names in all of pop music. One of the greatest producers of our generation. You know, I understand that Quincy Jones actually recommended Teddy Riley to Michael Jackson. Pretty good stuff. And again, Teddy Riley. So I'm going to tell you how this list is structured. So the songs in the top four are all songs that Teddy performed on. The, the others are ones that he produced or was maybe like a, a secondary person. But Teddy has kind of had his hand in everything. I mean, he, it's a, he's a very well-accomplished musical personality. Not just as a performer, but as a producer as well. And a guy that did some incredible songwriting and uh, really kind of changed the game in many respects. A lot of that stuff, like you go back and listen to like the R. Kelly stuff, like she's got that vibe. I know R. Kelly's a, that's a bad name to say these days. But, uh, you know, Troop and all that stuff that was right around like the turn of the decade when we went into the 90s. You know, a lot of that stuff had... Teddy Riley's fingerprints on it. Whether he did it or didn't, there are a lot of people that tried to mimic the things that he was doing. So here are the top 10 songs, in my opinion, that Teddy Riley was involved in. And some of these are absolute runaway hits. Some of them are legendary. But again, the final four are going to be the songs for that he was part of the production with. So, okay, so number 10... And uh, I watched the video before we uh, went live today. I, and you, you forget, Deion Sanders is in the video. Prime. Prime has the golden book out from MC Hammer, and he's calling everybody to come be a part of the Pumps and a Bump video. I used to want one of those um, Atlanta Falcons hockey-style jerseys that MC Hammer wore in that video because I thought it was so cool. Couldn't find it anywhere. I'm sure they were custom-made for the video. If you know of where I can find one, I'm not even a Falcons fan. I'd love to have one. I think they are so incredibly, incredibly cool. Maybe I should hit Deion Sanders up on Twitter. Hey, Prime, give me a Falcons hockey jersey, and I'll be in the Pumps and a Bump 3 video. Well, let's get it together. Let's all come out of retirement. All right, so Pumps and a Bump from Hammer, that's number 10 on the list. Number 9, a one-hit wonder. But, man, when this song broke, and maybe it's because she had, you know, the long – you know, braids or dreads or whatever it was. It was a one-hit wonder for Jane Child. It's a song, Don't Want to Fall in Love. And it's uh, it's kind of one of those synth pop songs. It's got a real heavy bass line. Teddy Riley, the, the mastermind behind that song. It was number one. And everywhere you went that summer, you heard Don't Want to Fall in Love. Number eight, man, one of the greatest R&B singers of all time. And Teddy Riley did a lot of work with him. Now, I've got this number eight, and you're going to think, man, if this song is number eight, the rest of this list must be absolute fire. And let me tell you, it is. Number eight is Keith Sweat's Make It Last Forever. And let me tell you this. When I was chasing all those girls down in South Mississippi, I always had Keith Sweat with me. I had my Keith Sweat cassettes with me wherever I went to set the mood, even though that I was a guy that was uh, really in a Motley crew. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Keith Sweat. I mean, deep down, honestly. I mean, it's like Keith, you know, Keith was in the movie New Jack City, too. You know, he sang at the wedding. But Keith is the real deal, man. And uh, I even like the up-tempo stuff like um, I Want Her and Make You Sweat. We should do a, top, a Keith Sweat top ten if we hadn't done one. Maybe Roy really look into that. 
But make it last forever, man. Teddy Riley brought the best out of Keith Sweat, and I thought really helped Keith kind of cross over into mainstream music at a much, much higher rate. Number seven, this song, ironically, also was a part of New Jack City. How about that? And I love the movie New Jack City. If I've never told you guys, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love all the characters, and it's not that I was necessarily rooting for or against Nino Brown. I just thought Wesley Snipes was remarkable in that movie. I loved it. Love everything about it. But they had the club scene, and everybody's going in, and uh, it's right before G Money and them have the uh, one of their many altercations with some of the mob. And it's the show by Dougie Fresh. You know, six minutes, six minutes, Dougie Fresh, you're on. That's the show. Dougie Fresh, one of the pioneers of the rap industry, he would, I don't know what Dougie thinks about today's music, rap music, but it's not nearly as good. When we had the MCs, like when we had LL Cool J and Big Daddy Kane and people like that, to me, to me, that's when rap was the coolest. And I know they, oh, Steve, you're an old guy. You're right. It's true. But I think those guys, maybe because they were pioneers. I mean, I, when I got that Run DMC, that very first Run DMC cassette, and uh, I could play hard times whenever I wanted to, I was like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I mean, th- ever. And so I wish we could have more of that. And uh, that's one thing things I give Teddy Raleigh a lot of credit for is like he kind of added some of the dance aspect and rap music together with the New Jack Swing style. It was great. Number six, a song by the King of Pop. It's Remember the Time. You remember that video? It was such a production. You know, Magic Johnson, everybody's in it. There was all these famous people in the, in the video. But Remember the Time, a great song. That's a Teddy Riley production. Maybe you didn't know that. Number five, I mentioned some of the better MCs. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Cool Modi. You know, of course, he, he had the Wild Wild West, but this is not that one. It's like the job done. Teddy Riley produced that. It's a great, this is a great list, man. I mean, a lot of people are going to listen to this and think, man, where has this been? I haven't listened to this in a long time. Okay, so now we're into uh, some songs that Teddy actually performed on. And uh, one of these songs, some would say, Steve, this is too low on the list. But you'd, you'd, be, you'd be wrong because you could have your list. Your list would be wrong. My list is correct. But we got to hear this song out at Duty Noble Field this year and when Houston Harding took them out. That is No Diggity, No Doubt from Blackstreet. And I absolutely love the jazz part of this. Oh, my gosh. That's the thing, too, about Blackstreet. If you don't know Blackstreet, you, need, you, you are missing out. They were phenomenal. Number three, going back to some of the earlier days of Teddy Riley, he was in a group called Guy, and they, re, they reconnect every now and again to do some shows. My favorite Guy song, and I know a lot of people are probably into I Like It. To me, the best Guy song, without a doubt, is Let's Chill. Let's Chill from Guy was also in my tape deck when I was going out on dates. Sometimes after seven, Bobby Brown, all that good stuff. But Let's Chill from God, man, that was the greatest. My favorite Blackstreet song, and, I, and you know what my, my affection is for that group. I really, really dig them. But it's Don't Leave Me. Sorry about the little technical difficulty there, but it's Don't Leave Me. And uh, this is one of those that just, if this doesn't make you feel a little something, I, I think something's wrong with you. I, I used to have a buddy of mine that said, you know, if you put on Blackstreet, and you're on a date with a girl, and she doesn't at least start holding your hand. When this song comes on, it's probably time to take her home because it's not going to be a good night. It's not going to be a good date. It's just not feeling the vibe. Black Street, all that stuff was phenomenal. But to me, and this kind of goes against a lot of the rest of the songs on this list, 
you know, a lot of these songs about relationships, that sort of stuff, make it last forever, that kind of stuff. Uh, then to me, the best song that, uh, that Teddy Riley was a part of, it was a one hit wonder. And man, when it dropped, all we ever wanted to do was zoom, a zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. It's Rump Shaker by Rex and Effects, right? Oh my gosh, it was such a great song. And it was, uh, it was a song that was easy to dance to. And that's one thing too, that I give Teddy Riley a lot of credit for is he wrote great love songs and did a great job getting people on the dance floor. And so for all of my R&B listeners, I love you. And this is the evidence of that. I want you guys to enjoy this list. And if you and, and maybe you've heard of a few of these songs, like if you're like a, not an R&B person, you owe it to yourself to listen to this because you're going to be like, oh, I've heard that. I've heard it. Oh, I forgot about that song. That's great. Man, there were so many hits on this list. Teddy Riley, a musical genius, man. So enjoy the list. We'll do some more R&B. I'm not, I'm not going to make you guys, you know, you know, we're not always going to do, you know, the Hollywood strip, you know. Matter of fact, this Friday, it's Roy's pick. It's something completely different for me. It's Roy's favorite band. I'll tell you who on Friday. We're going to do Roy's pick on Friday. So no metal or rap Friday. So enjoy today. Enjoy the Teddy Riley list. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump this probably for a couple days, man. I look forward when these lists come out. I just go ahead and hit play and just kind of let them roll. Because and, and, I, I, I listen to a lot of these songs before I put these lists together. But it's fun to be able to get on the road and travel a little bit. Maybe when I go to Vanderbilt, I'll be bumping this too. I'll be in Tupelo tomorrow. That reminds me. I'll be in Tupelo at the Christmas Village thing on uh, Thursday and Friday. Now, I will come back home and record the Friday show for you guys Thursday night. But I'll be there all day on Thursday. I will be there until 5 p.m. on Friday because I'm going to see Alice Cooper. Uh, Bancor South that night so the, the kind of an update there so if you have ideas for the top 10 list reach out let me know had a couple this morning send them on to Roy so we got a list and sometimes you know like we don't just go in order because sometimes you guys will have some really good ideas and say Steve I can't believe we've done hadn't done this one and I'll kind of like that better and I get excited about it so we'll go ahead and do it so if you have something that you're excited about let me know. A lot of feedback about that 1997 alt-rock list. I had a lot of people reach out and said, dude, this was like my junior year at high school, or this is my senior year in college, and I listened to all these songs. It's good to kind of hear them all together on one list. So there you go. And if you're looking for those lists, uh, search. You can go to Roy's Twitter or his Spotify. He is Dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Dogmatic67, and search for those lists. And uh, Gordon Griffin puts them together for us in the infancy of this little program. And uh, sometimes when you guys are looking for those, I find them uh, with Gordon. And so if you've got questions, reach out, let me know. Thanks so much for your support of the top 10 list. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Love those guys to death, man. I was there on Saturday. And when I go over there, it's like it's fun not having to introduce yourself. You know, and yes, I'm very recognizable, but every time I go in there, I just feel at home. Everybody in there has such a good vibe and a good spirit. And so uh, let me encourage you, go by and see them. They are already your friends. In many cases, they're friends you just hadn't met yet. That's Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, Cheyenne, the whole crew. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, let me encourage you to visit them on the wide world, World Wide Web, if I can get it out, campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, We'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. 
and listen, it's getting cold, and and maybe when we won the NAFL championship, you you stocked up on t-shirts. Hey, it's time to stock up on hoodies and sweatshirts. And you can get that at campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at Vanderbilt. It has not been a great year for Vanderbilt. Let me go through a couple things here with you to kind of prepare you. I know a lot of people say, well, Vanderbilt's not any good until they get ready to play us. You know, it's like everybody looks at that and wonders, you know, what's the deal? So they began the year losing at home to East Tennessee State 23-3. They then go on the road, kick a last-second field goal to beat Colorado State 24-21. They get blown out at home by Stanford 41-23. Georgia absolutely brutalized them 62 to nothing. They find a way to beat UConn 30-28, had to do that in come-from-behind fashion. Then they get shelled by Florida 42-0 down in the swamp and then lose at South Carolina 21-20 over the weekend. So they sit right now at 2-5 and 0-3 and and in the Southeastern Conference. They are just 1-3 at home. Of course, they win over a really, really bad UConn team. So let's break down the team a little bit here. Averaging... 14.2 points per game, allowing 34. So near 20-point differential. So you begin to look at that and think, okay, we ought to be able to get some things going offensively. And provided that Will Rogers is in good shape, I don't expect him to be 100%. I think we should be able to, uh, to put up some points uh, against them. They have only scored 100 points this year and allowed 238. Of course, those two lopsided losses to Georgia and Florida kind of skew the numbers a bit. Uh, They have been pretty balanced on offense, but have had more success passing the ball than they have running the football. 128 first downs on the season, 18 of them by penalty, 45 rushing, 65 passing. They have also allowed about the same number in passing and rushing. So it's not like they're just deficient in one uh, form of defense. On the offensive side of the football, they have run for 930 yards, allowed 14-15, averaging just over three yards per carry and giving up over five, right at 5.3. 112.7 yards per game on the ground for them. And I, I feel like that if we can hold them to that same number, we probably win the football game handily. Just four rushing touchdowns. Ran for just 789 yards on the year and allowed 13-16. Passing has been a bit of an adventure for them. 136 of 250, just over around 53%, I guess. Nine interceptions. Now, they have picked off eight passes, and they they got to South Carolina a little bit, but if you watch that ball game, and I did earlier this week, the interceptions that South Carolina threw to Vanderbilt were awful. It wasn't just great defensive plays. I mean, you had you know some really bad overthrows. Ball placement was very, very erratic. And so it's not like they have created those turnovers. They were kind of gifted those turnovers. Offensively, averaging 310.9 yards per game, allowing just under 450. 11 offensive touchdowns while allowing 30. Not been especially strong in the return game either, averaging just 14 yards of return. Probably best to just call the fair catch there. Uh, so, you know, kind of looking at that, those are things to kind of monitor. They have been a little bit leaky at times in, in kick return defense, but just over 24, 5.36 yards per return. 
so punting, this is a factor as well. Right at 44 yards, you know, for them. They have been decent, 8 of 13 in their field goal attempts. Now, a couple weeks ago, Vantage Kicker was over 3 in the ballgame. Hit a couple of big kicks against South Carolina uh, against them. Third down conversions, 37 of 115. A lot of third downs for them, 9 of 14 on fourth down. They have fumbled the ball 10 times, lost it 6 times. They have forced 4 fumbles and recovered just 2 of those. Uh, just 4 sacks for their defense. They've been sacked 13 times. So not a great pass rushing team. And you would think that probably plays well into what Mississippi State wants to do. Now, the best running back they have is Rocco Griffin. And he had a really, really hard-nosed, blue-collar type run at the goal line uh, to give Vanderbilt some life late in that ball game against South Carolina. 82 carries on the year, 284 yards, averaging just over 40 yards per game. Now, Ramon Davis, a little more explosive. He's averaging right at 70 yards, but has been injured. So, I'm played in three games uh, this year. Mike Wright is the quarterback, and he is not a guy that just kind of came off the shelf and started against South Carolina. They have played him some this year. He's appeared in five games this year, 36 rushes uh, for 139 yards, averaging just under 28 per game. So, again, we're going to have to kind of – Account for him in the running game. Going to be a much different deal. Kenny Seals uh, did not run much at all. Really more of a you know prolific type uh, passer. That's really more of his game. Didn't really have the dual threat thing. So uh, Ken Seals not officially out this weekend, but we don't expect to see him. Mike Wright though, again played in five games, 113 yard, 113.4 quarterback rating. It's just 22 of 44 in passing so basically every other attempt is an incompletion he's on a couple of picks just 301 yards to his credit and a couple touchdowns averaging 60 yards per game passing so I think we're going to see them really try to establish the run with him I think that's you know pretty much a given at this point now they did throw the ball a little bit last week the guy the guy that you really got to account for in a passing game is number 14 Will Shepard now, there were a couple plays against South Carolina that was clearly kind of a predetermined read, and they hit him for a couple of big plays against South Carolina. Uh, I think it was you know, kind of designed, okay, Will is your read here, so run your play action stuff, and then he will find a way to get open. So Shepard at 14, 34 catches to lead the team, 453 yards, three touchdowns. All of those are team highs, 64.7 yards receiving per game Uh, Chris Pierce number 19 having a decent year himself 31 catches 338 yards a touchdown along of uh, of 31 but it's pretty much you know kind of spread throughout the roster it's pretty well evenly distributed among their top four receivers but Will Shepard is clearly the guy that you got to pay special attention to and so if you're Mississippi State job one is to stop the run and put the game again into Mike Wright's lap and make him throw the football to beat you you can't let him just sit back there Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. 
It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. And have the run pass option. You got to make him be a quarterback. All right, let's look here defensively. This is a team, too, that, uh, you know, watching them play, they are not especially athletic. Now, they're SEC players, but I really thought the linebackers struggled to play sideline to sideline. They're, they're tackle to tackle type backers. They just don't have maybe the athleticism that we're accustomed to seeing in the linebacker position which tells me that Dylan Johnson and Jaquavius Marks could have a pretty good day. Getting those guys outside, whether it be with the running game or the passing game, I think they're a difficult matchup for some Vandy linebackers that seem to be about a half tick slow. Now, Anthony Orgy, their leading tackler, seven games, 53 tackles total, and has the, the one sack and a quarterback hurry. He does have seven and a half tackles for loss, which leads the team. Uh, Ethan Barr, 51 tackles for him, a couple of interceptions, three pass breakups, and a couple quarterback hurries. And he's the guy, too, that uh, you know had a decent game against South Carolina as well. Uh, looking here, the leading defender in the secondary, uh, Davion Davis, four pass breakups, and then also has a quarterback hurry. And, again, this is a team that doesn't do a really good job of getting the quarterback on the ground. They will try to kind of get in his face a little bit uh, as this thing kind of moves forward. I think we all are, are – understand that this is a team probably that will sit back and play a lot of drop three and make us move the ball methodically down the field in hopes of kind of keeping uh, the game and the score manageable. You know, I think Mississippi State can get to 30 points. I think that you probably have won this game substantially. I think in order for Vanderbilt to win, they've got to keep this game in the low 20s. 
I think that's will be their 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 goal and their effort. So I do expect them again to try to establish the run, and then force us to drive the length of the field. They'll look to avoid, you know, the big passing play, which that's what most teams do against us. Alabama really the only one, I think that it's really dictated terms to us when it's come to pass rush. They really showed some exotic things, and you know Clark Lee being a Nashville guy, a former Vanderbilt player, you know he will probably look to mimic some of that as we get into the ball game. But uh, this is a group, too, again, not as athletic as we have seen, but they do have some guys out there. You, you can't afford to get loose and sloppy with any of that stuff. I mean, you, you just can't. Uh, Jalen Mahoney is another guy that's important to kind of keep an eye on, too. 29 tackles for him uh, with an interception and a pass breakup. Also has, you know, one sack. They're just you know, not a ton of sacks with this team. Nobody has more than one on, on the entire roster. You know, I told you, four sacks as a defense. That bodes well, I think, for Mississippi State in an offensive line that needs to go out and have a good showing after a seven-sack performance this past Saturday against Alabama. So that's kind of how the defense kind of shakes up. And it's just one of those things you look at and you look at some of these numbers, they have really struggled to defend at times. Now, uh, looking special special teams here, and I think that could be a real factor uh, to say the least, you know, especially in a ball game like this. Uh, Harrison Smith is their guy. He's a guy out there making things happen for them, you know, for sure. A guy that um, does a little bit of everything for them, I guess. You know, he's a guy that, that can handle the kicking. He's a guy that can handle all three kicking disciplines if necessary. Um, looking at the, the field goal side of things, and I mentioned that he did miss some field goals here a couple of weeks ago, that's uh, believe it or not, the guy doing the place kicking, and, and I, I'm shocked to see this name. I guess I missed it, but it's Joseph Bolivus. Remember him? A guy to Covington, Louisiana, Mississippi State was expected to get a commitment from, and then on his way, he stopped at Alabama, took a blue shirt deal. That's what he did. So it is what it is. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right, so Harrison Smith, of course, kind of handling the, uh, you know, the punting aspect of things. But uh, but I understand that he's a guy that was highly recruited by many schools to kind of handle the uh, <clears throat> all those kicking type disciplines. He's capable of doing that. Um, but Joseph Bolivus, if he struggles again, you could see that. But uh, handling the kickoffs for them, uh, Pearson Cook. Now, 19 kickoffs, zero touchbacks, zero. So when you begin to think about that, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it's Tula Griffin, right? Joseph Bolivus has had five kicks, zero touchbacks. And so you have a guy here, you have a, a, a team that struggles to kick the football into the end zone, which is kind of, that, that's been a thing that's neutralized Tulu a little bit in the last few weeks. So now you've got a team that's got a couple of kickers that can't quite get it there. So that should open up the return game a little bit for us and in turn shorten the field a little bit and maybe give our offense a chance uh, to kind of get a head start with some of the stuff. Very, very interesting type stuff. There's always the game within the game. That's the one thing that jumps out to me at every bit of this is like, you know, when we're having to drive 75 yards, sometimes things break down. Well, we don't have to do that. Maybe we can break one. Next thing you know, some good things are happening for us. Those are the things that excite me. And I know you could probably feel the same way. You look at this and say, you know what, hey, Steve, we just need to get Tulu loose. We do. All right, kind of moving along here, too. 
some other things, just kind of miscellaneous type stuff. You know, they just they're just not a team that you look at and say, okay, this is the strength. I think really what it boils down to is, you know, Clark Lee is a guy was not really a highly recruited player, a guy that always wanted to go to Vanderbilt, and I think it's always a great thing. I think when guys get a chance to play at their childhood favorite school, that's a wonderful thing, no matter which school it is, because all of us had the dreams of one day playing for Mississippi State University when we were kids out in the front yard. You know, for me, I was John Bond. And so we're going to talk about John a little bit later in the show too. But, you know, when I, I begin to think about Clark Lee, this is a guy that is committed to Nashville. He's committed to Vanderbilt. He looks to be a guy that, that would not leave them for some bigger job. I think he loves being home. And so he is going to kind of build this program, I think, in his own image. Kind of hard-nosed, under-recruited, guys that play with a lot of effort. I think that is pretty much a certainty. And so, again, they hire one of their own to kind of turn this thing around. And I do think, even though their record doesn't indicate it, I do think at times they have played well at times this year in games against comparable opponents where they have really struggled is when there is a really big talent differential. Now, we've talked about this series a little bit uh, on the Monday show. We have played a total of 23 times, Mississippi State 14 wins, uh, Vanderbilt 7, and then the two ties. But we have really had some success you know, against them. And it's been a long time since Vanderbilt has celebrated a victory over Mississippi State. And that, that 2004 season under uh, Sylvester Croom, right? You remember that one, right? That was, uh, you know, we were just kind of getting off NCAA investigation mode. And, and uh, you know, Croom was here. And we were kind of excited about the future and just thinking, you know what, let's just get all this mess behind us. And we win that game against Tulane, and then we put together just a string of losses. And uh, in one of the more forgettable seasons in our school's history, you know, we get shelled by Auburn, and then we lose to Maine. And uh, Yeah, I had to bring it up. We lose to Maine, and then we get beat at LSU 51 nothing. And if you remember, Nick Saban and the Tiger offense took a knee at the end of the first half. That's how bad it was. Then we go on the road to Nashville, and they beat us 31-13. to That's the last win that they have had against Mississippi State in a long time. It goes all the way back uh, to 1988. So they're, they're on their, their only win against us since 1988, and that was a 24-20 uh, loss back then. And so we have dominated this series, and we have certainly ha- handled them when we played them. We just hadn't played them enough. You know, there's some other people in this conference you get to play them every year, so that's an SEC win, kind of like Vanderbilt playing, uh, you know, Tennessee and, and Missouri every year in baseball. You know, the Ole Miss people can kind of count that one, even though it hadn't always worked out as well as it should for them. You know, State has gotten the better of them, and I fully expect State to do the same thing on Saturday. We just got to go play clean. We got to go play clean. We can't turn the football over. We can't be silly. Can't have these uh, penalty-killing drives. Can't get called for a big holding call on, on second nine and put us in a bad situation. But a lot of it's going to ride on the shoulder of Will Rogers. You know, and I continue to hear that he's, he's fine. He's going to play. He's not 100%. And so does that mean we run the football a little bit more? Maybe. Does that mean that we involve maybe Jameer Calvin on, you know, some end-around type stuff? Do we try to get those guys the ball in space? Do we throw a little more bubble screens? Do we get too little more involved? I would say, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too, about this offense. You know, you're taxing Will Rogers to throw a lot of passes, but a lot of them are not high-stress passes. You're just kind of managing the game and taking what the defense gives you, and I think he'll fully be capable of doing that. And I think that Mississippi State's also in, in a really good spot in many respects because of the fact that 
I think there is a big exhale collectively, not just with the team, but with our fan base. Okay, well, Alabama's now behind us, and there's not a sure loss on the schedule the rest of the way. Now, I'd love to go up to Nashville and beat these guys 51 to nothing, and it's not anything personal. I guess it's a little personal because you remember those guys were on top of the baseball dugout and taunted our players and that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, this is a different sport. We need to go win this thing. It's a very winnable game against a team that struggles. And so without our help, I don't think Vanderbilt can beat us. I think with our help, they can keep the game close. But, you know, they're a team that has been very, very challenged offensively, and they're playing a backup quarterback. If Mike Wright was the best option, then Kenny Seals would not have been the starter. The dude, the, the thing, to be honest with you, I think I would rather have played Kenny Seals because of the fact that it becomes a very limited offense with him behind center. There's no threat of him to run. Mike Wright, if you watch the South Carolina game, there were times that South Carolina brought pressure against him, and he is able to evade it and then go make a play. Those are the things that I look at, and, and it kind of concerned me a little bit. Not that I expect us to lose the game, but I think he is a little slippery. And another one of those guys, too, you're going to have to account for it. Does that mean that we spy him? Yeah, I don't know. But I do know that he is a guy that's capable of making plays with his feet when things break down. Now, looking at the box score from last week, I just want to kind of give you some numbers, too, just to kind of – because that was, you know, a full start for him. He was able to do a lot of things. And, and again, you know, Vanderbilt gets down in this ballgame 14-3 in the first quarter, and you think, okay, South Carolina's going to cruise. They don't. South Carolina didn't score again until the final minute. Vanderbilt basically shut them out the rest of the ballgame, you know, until, you know, the game was essentially on the line. But looking at Mike Wright's numbers, 11 of 21, 206 passing, one touchdown, one interception. The big touchdown, of course, uh, was the um, the long pass to Wool Shepard, 52 yards. Basically just ran the fade. It was kind of a pump and go, I guess, in many respects. You know, he, kind of a stutter step deal, and then he just basically runs by the guy. And the safety kind of been underneath on some play action stuff. So Wool Shepard, three grabs for 120 yards. And one of them is the big 52-yarder. Now, Cam Johnson also had a long reception in that ball game for 44. And that's the thing when you begin to look at this offensive stuff. 96 yards of their 206 yards came on two plays. So what that tells me is we have to avoid the big play. Now, at times, that's been easier said than done for us. You know, we gave up some big plays last week. And hearing Colin Duncan say, you know, a lot of it's just we had our eyes in the wrong place and – you know, we let guys get loose, and that's the thing about a team against Alabama. You make mistakes in the secondary. They're athletic enough to run by you. I don't know that Vanderbilt has that same ability. But, you know, when I look at these numbers, you know, I begin to realize that, um, you know, they're a team that's going to make us be honest. We're not going to be able to just get downhill against them. You know, on third and long, we got to go out there and get in their face and tackle in space. Uh, I mentioned Rocco Griffin, that he really played well against South Carolina, and he did. 18 carries. Uh, for 57 yards, and then the one touchdown late. Mike Wright, 15 carries for a total of 41, did have some sacks against him uh, that kind of negated some of his earlier uh, rushing attempts. And then Patrick Smith, five carries for just the nine yards. But Rocco Griffin's going to be the guy, and Will Shepard is going to be the guy. But I think your job one is just to kind of put the job in Mike Wright's lap, make him be a quarterback rather than an athlete and uh, was sacked a couple times, and a couple of those are really big. Tried to deal a little bit too much at times. But this is a team, you know, that, that you look at and you say, we always talk about the talent differential when we play teams. When we play teams like LSU, there is a talent differential. When we play Alabama, there is a talent differential. But we're playing Vanderbilt, and the talent differential favors Mississippi State. 
So we're the more talented team. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be playing our starting quarterback, you know, barring something totally unforeseen. There's no reason to think we shouldn't be able to go up there and handle business. Now, you know, looking at some of these numbers, it's like when the not line came out, I was like you guys, too. I mean, you know, uh, it's one of those things you look at and you begin to say, okay, maybe Vegas likes this team a whole lot better than we do, you know. Um, and that's not to say that we don't love the Bulldogs. But I was a little surprised when the line opened as high as it did. Let, let me check it right now just because we can see where we are. It's not that I think Vegas knows more than us, but these guys know a lot. They, they absolutely know a lot about what to do. And so uh, let me look at the lines here for Mississippi State versus Vanderbilt. And we'll just kind of see how things are breaking down here. So here is what they will put out here for you. And it's like you never know when you, when you click on these sites what they're, you know, what they're trying to get you to do or whatever. But um, Bulldogs listed as a 20 – Point five favorite. I think that's right, if I'm reading that correct. And I don't know, this site's a little screwy. Let me just double-check it on a place to make sure I'm giving you right numbers here. But, um, you know, State, basically a three-touchdown favorite. Now, you look at this thing and you say, you know what, this is what should happen. Mississippi State should be able to go up there. Yeah, it opened at 21 and a half. 21 and a half. And um, probably has come down a little bit since then. But you know, the bottom line is that this is a game Mississippi State should win. We just got to get out of our way. Can't go over there and shoot ourselves in the foot. We can't go over there and, and commit a bunch of penalties. You know, we can't go over there and have dead quarters. We got to go over there and play. And I think, again, the athleticism favors Mississippi State. And I think that you're going to see Jaquavius Marks have a really big day. I just may call it a hunch, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. I think they're going to struggle – to kind of keep him curtailed. And if they're going to drop back and eight so much, and if you saw what A&M and NC State did, they had those linebackers. And LSU, to a certain extent, they had the backers really bailing out on the snap. And then all we had to really do is get one block on the edge. And then Marks and Johnson were lose for five, six, seven, sometimes eight, nine yards. And I think you're going to see a repeat of that. I think they're going to really struggle, number one, to get penetration. But number two, I think we can run them out of that zone as best we can. But I think their team probably is just going to kind of manage the game and try to avoid uh, getting blown out. And, uh, again, Clark Lee and them, it's the first year, so, you know, there's not any pressure up there. They're trying to build a, a program and kind of rebuild a culture and, uh, you know, wish him the best, but certainly not this week. But uh, if I had to call it today, I, I think State wins the game and covers, uh, barring something totally unforeseen. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys before what a fan I am of Portico. And it's not just because of the fact that it's in Starkville. But I live here. And I would want to live somewhere nice. And I do. But I'll be honest with you. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico just because of the convenience of being so close to campus. It's also on the backside of campus. So it's quiet. You know, I don't have a lot of people, you know, you know riding by and that sort of stuff. It's in a neighborhood. Very easy to find. You turn off 82 on the 12. You take that right on the Pat Station Road. Next thing you know, there you are. Portico. Whether it be your primary residence or perhaps, you know, a ball game weekend retreat, an investment property, you need to look into Portico if you're thinking of buying property in Starkville. Now, here's the thing. If you're looking to move right now, you're not going to be able to move into Portico because every house in phase one has already been purchased. So what we're doing now is they're selling lots in phase two and three of those lots have already been purchased. And then people can in turn pick out the floor plan of their home. So you have some say in that. And I think everybody deserves some new construction at some point in their life. So 
reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan. His phone number is 601-416-8075. Portico is a great place to live. Got that great walking trail out there, so you know you can have the barbecue and everything else. And maybe in the evening, just to go out there and recount your day, you and your sweetheart can go walk around that track and just get caught up. That's a nice thing to think about, right? It's like, it's been a busy day. I'm going to get home. I'm just going to walk around. Maybe hold hands. Or maybe I just want to get out there and look at my phone. But either way, you can get out there and get your steps in, too, right there in your own neighborhood. You don't have to go look for a place. Really cool thing. Portico has up two-bedroom, two-bath homes, up to four-bedroom, four-bath homes. So they've got room for your family. Check it out today. Give Brooks a call. You'll be glad you did. Brooks also a former Diamond Dog. So he is invested in Starkville and Mississippi State. Wants to make Starkville a better place to live for all Bulldog fans. Many of you have said, you know, one of these days, Steve, I'm going to move back up there. One of these days, I'm going to have a place in Starkville. Well, here it is. Here it is. Rather than have to go look and ask people, hey, do you know anybody that's got a place? You, you, know, you can build your own. Right there, Portico. Very, very easy to find. Make Portico your next move. All right, we spent a lot of time in our, in our lives talking about the 1980 Mississippi State football team. And why do you remember that? Right? Because of the 6-3 win over Alabama. But you know what? It was a great year. We had a couple of really bad losses that uh, we look back and kind of shake our heads back a little bit. But we had a very memorable year. We open up the year, and then we at Memphis, and we beat those guys 34 to 7. And I think next year when we play Memphis here, that it'll be something similar to that. Uh, Louisiana Tech, we beat those guys 31 11. That Bulldog defense playing exceptionally well. Game three, we went to Vanderbilt. We beat those guys 24 to 14. We're going to talk a little bit about that game. Uh, at Florida, the next week, we're 3 0 and unranked, which is stupid. And, um, and we win. We, we, excuse me, we lose at Florida 21 to 15. One of the losses that we had that just didn't, you know, didn't make a lot of sense. You know, they were a good team, but we should have been able to find a way uh, to make that thing happen. Well, we didn't. We lose that ball game. We bounce back the next week at Champaign, Illinois, and win 28-21. And then we lose to Southern Miss. We get absolutely destroyed in this ball game, 42 to 14. As great as our defense had been playing. Everything went wrong in that ballgame. Everything. We bounced back the next week and we traveled to Coral Gables and we beat number 18 Miami at their place, 34-31. Put together a nice streak here. We get Auburn and Jackson, beat those guys 24-21 the next week. A date that we'll never forget. 6-3 over Alabama. People were expecting us to have a hangover. The next week, we beat LSU 55-31. Biggest offensive show of the year. We win the Egg Bowl 19-14, and people are thinking, you know what, maybe we got a shot at a Sugar Bowl. We didn't. We ended up going to the Sun Bowl out in El Paso, Texas, to play on number eight, Nebraska. And what's amazing to me is that we had to beat Alabama to get ranked. This, it didn't make any, now granted, it was top 20 polls back then, but it didn't make a lot of sense. It's like we go through the schedule, like before we even beat Alabama, you know, what are we, 6-2? and two? You know, it's not like we're a bad football team. We're unranked. So then we beat number one Alabama, and they rank us number 19. And then we win against LSU. We move up to 17. We beat Ole Miss, and we don't even move up in the polls. Don't tell me there's not some bias against Mississippi State. We're putting together that kind of season. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. None at all. 
kind of drives me crazy. We were nine and two with a win over the number one team in America, and we're seventeenth in the country. We'll get ready to play Nebraska, and of course, if we lose that ball game, thirty-one seventeen. But but that's beside the point, I guess. But um, let's talk a little bit about this Vanderbilt game now. Vanderbilt at the time. You know, George McIntyre was the coach there. And, uh, you know, Vanderbilt had not had a lot of recent tradition. You know, McIntyre got there in 79. It was part of a rebuild year. He said after the Mississippi State game that he thought that was the best game they had played to date from an effort standpoint. So that year in 80, the second year under McIntyre, they open the year at Maryland and lose 31-6. to And then they play us. And we win the ballgame 24-14, but it was a game that was still pretty tightly contested. You know, we got out to a pretty good start. And the next thing you know, they score a touchdown to kind of make this thing a little more interesting. You know, we're up 17-7, thinking we're fixing to kind of coast and put this thing away. And then they, they hit a big pass play to pull within three. And then the Mississippi State offensive line just kind of took over. You know, with John Bond... Michael Haddix and those guys kind of wrecking shop down there. It was a difficult undertaking to slow down the Bulldogs. Michael Haddix goes for 144 yards and I believe two touchdowns in the game. One of the first guys I remember being able to consistently do a spin move. And there's some video out there floating around of this game. But Michael Haddix is one of those guys too that, you know, he was a superstar at Mississippi State, even on a team where we had John Bond. You know, a guy that we have basically been – you know, one of the you know godfathers of our program. You know, a guy that we look at and say, you know what, that guy was really good. Michael Haddix was a tremendous football player. And we always kind of felt like he could do it, you know, from Tippa County, Mississippi. Just up the road there outside of Walnut. Played at Walnut, you know, and uh, got a lot of connections. But, you know, Michael Haddix was drafted – by the Philadelphia Eagles in the very first round, the number eight pick in the draft, in the 83 draft. So you kind of go back in hindsight here. In 80, he's a freshman, being your primary ball carrier in a run-based offense. He ended up hanging around in the National Football League for eight seasons and uh, was eventually inducted into the Mississippi State M Club Hall of Fame back in 2019. Uh, a guy that's still very active. You can go to these uh, M-Club functions, and Michael Haddix is there. A guy that loves Mississippi State. A guy that put together a really good career at Mississippi State and played on some bad teams in the National Football League. Really did. Michael Haddix is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, one of those guys, you, you think about our, our program, and you think about some of the legends in our program, and they're from places like Walnut and Wiggins and Columbia and little small towns like that. I mean, you know, Macon. There are a lot of players out there that uh, dreamed of one day going and playing at Mississippi State and they get the opportunity to represent their home state and represent their community on the big stage. And that's exactly what Michael Haddix did. And, and uh, again, went on and had a great career. And you begin to think about, you know, some of the guys that were on that team, that 1980 team. You know, we talk about it in such reverence and we honored them, you know, last, last week. But uh, there were a lot of guys on that team that went on and played you know, in the National Football League for a long time. You know, Billy Jackson still the, you know, the record holder for sacks. You know, tackles for loss. It's phenomenal. Think about the quality of the team. Glenn Collins, Johnny Cooks, Rob Fessmeyer. I mean, these guys are legends. And you know, I I hold this team in high regard because it's the first one I ever saw in person. And so we beat Vanderbilt, and uh, they did not have a great year that year. 
you know, after after they got by us, we beat them 24-14. They lose to Bama, then lose to Tulane, lose to Georgia in blowout fashion, lose to Ole Miss, and that should never happen. You know, so they open up the year 0-6. They find a way to beat Memphis. They lose to Kentucky, lose to Miami of Florida, a team that we beat, and uh, beat UT Chattanooga in FCS school and then finish the year with a loss to Tennessee, 51-13. So it's a two-win year, you know. And so the bottom line is, and, and I just wanted to talk about that game just because I saw that video floating around there, is, you know, we were two teams going in two different directions. But, uh, you know, we found a way to go out there and get a W. And that's what needs to happen this weekend. We just need to find a way to go out there and get a W. It's like when – if I told you guys, hey, we're going to win the game 20-10, to 10, you'd be like, okay, but I really thought we'd score more points. At the end of the day, we just got to get a W this weekend. That 1980 team was a lot better than Vanderbilt. And the, at the end of the year, the record showed that. But we still had a competitive ball game against them. Now, again, emotion only carries you so far. You know, you got to execute. And one of the things that I think Mike Leach does a good job of just managing emotions. Just go out there and do your job. You know, we've had some guys in the past that kind of coach with passion. And I think at times, you know, like, you know, Sam Pittman. The book, obviously, still out on Sam Pittman. But I think that he's a guy that kind of coaches with emotion. Ed Orgeron, a guy that coaches with emotion. Not as bad as it was when he was at Ole Miss. But at some point, you got to execute. That's the thing you get down to. And that's, yeah, it's one of the things I wanted to say, too. And I meant to mention this on Monday. You know, I've done some coaching in my own days. And uh, the thing that I have learned is it doesn't matter how much want to you have. It doesn't matter how much you practice. It doesn't matter how good a game plan you have. You know, sometimes the other guys are just better. And my hope is that that holds true for us this weekend because we are just simply better. That 1980 team was just simply better than Vanderbilt. And so they found a way to win. Even though it ended up being a tighter ball game than it probably should have been, the better team won. More times than not, the best team does win. You can scheme, you can plan, you can put in wrinkles, you can do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, it's about players making plays, and that's in every sport at every level. I remember when I played high school football, we had a big running back named Anthony Preston. And late in the ball game, I remember Chuck Lick saying this, it doesn't matter what, what play we call here, we just need to find a way to get the ball in the hands of Anthony Preston. And you know what? When we did that, we won. It was very rare that we lost a ball game when Anthony Preston had the ball in his hands late. And so when you look at this Mississippi State team, you begin to think, okay, we don't have a Michael Haddix. We don't have an Anthony Preston. You know, we don't have a J.J. Johnson or even an Anthony Dixon. You look at and say, okay, I want this guy to have the ball in his hands. And at this point, I think that guy's Will Rogers. I think Will Rogers is a guy that you've got to kind of count on to be the guy to step up and make a big play. I remember in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game, Will Rogers basically willed that team to a win, took them down, threw a game-winning touchdown, the kid's got some moxie. He's got some toughness about him. You know, it's like everybody's been so concerned about the shoulder this week. He never left the game. Yeah, he got, you know, crushed under on a sack, and it's just a football play. What anything malicious about it. It's just kind of part of football. He didn't beg out of the game. He didn't quit. He powered through it. He was determined to go get your team in the end zone. It didn't work out. But you have to have a certain level of respect for that. This is a guy that is a leader. This is a guy that was kind of – cultivated and raised to be a leader. And now that it's his time to lead, these are the type of ball games you got to go win. You know what? And then maybe next year, maybe you go beat somebody like LSU. You know, there is a development process in all this. It's not just about us growing as a program and us getting accustomed to Mike Leach. 
Yeah, it's Will Rogers kind of growing accustomed to playing college football, really ha- having to play before he was ready. You know, people forget last year, you know, when we were going through fall camp and, you know, we're all expecting Garrett Schrader to really get in there and compete. And all of a sudden, Mike Leach starts talking about Will Rogers. He goes, you know, I thought Will really did, had a good day today. Will's doing this. Will's doing that. Then I start making some calls because we can't attend practice the people that I trust that don't have a microphone in front of them, they say, man, the Rogers kid is just better. He's just better suited for the system. Not the same athlete of Garrett Schrader, but he just fits what Mike Leach wants. And so, of course, Garrett Schrader ends up playing wide receiver for us some last year. I'm, I'm really happy for him, too. hope he does a great job at Syracuse. They should have beat Clemson over the weekend. But when you kind of look at this deal with, uh, with Will – you know, he's playing before he's ready, you know, in an offense that he's somewhat familiar with, but it's a different deal. And so we've had the discussion this week about Jack Abraham. I, di- I didn't know we were going to revisit that, but I do want to provide a little clarity on that. Uh, Jack Abraham is still with the, t- the team. He is still a member of the Mississippi State football team. He is not practicing. So I guess technically he's on the team. He's not with the team. Still going through uh, some physical therapy, and uh, I understand that, that he's going to appeal for a uh, seventh year of eligibility and uh, be back out here next year to compete. And you know what? Good for him. And we need him to. We need him to be able to compete. We need him to make the room better. You know what? He might win the job. Who knows? I don't expect that to be the case. You know, but the more experience and leadership you have in locker room, the better. And, you know, for a guy like Jack Abraham that has uh, missed – had it kind of taken away from him through no fault of his own, those people tend to come back with a vengeance because they understand what they've lost and they understand how precious the opportunity is to play college football. And so I've had this taken away from me. Well, I've got one more shot at this. I'm going to make it count. And so, yeah, Jack Abraham, still a Mississippi State Bulldog. I know there was some confusion about that uh, earlier in the week. I think that's all been addressed now. But we'll kind of move forward. And, and then there, there's all this stuff, too, about, you know, well, who's running third, who's running fourth, and all that kind of stuff. And none of that matters. In the event that the Mississippi State Will Rogers quarterback couldn't play, Chance Lovertich is the next guy up. And this is a guy that has played Division One football. He's been a starter on Division One level. You remember a couple of years ago he was a starting quarterback for South Alabama when they beat Southern Miss. One of the last wins Steve Campbell had at South Alabama. And so – like, well, you know, I hear Sawyer Robertson's this. I don't know where you're getting these reports from. I mean, honestly. It's like somebody makes a comment on a message board, and I guess it kind of validates the false narrative, so we accept that it's fact. Guys, Sawyer Robertson is the future of this program at quarterback. Now, Daniel Greek, very capable player. He is. And he's a big guy that passes a looks test and uh, is a coach's kid. Brady, I just don't think at this point he has the same physical skill. And I think when Sawyer Robertson has a year in the weight room, you're going to be impressed with what you see. And it's like there's so many people, it's like we chase these recruits and then all of a sudden we get them and it's like if we forget the names and then somebody goes, oh, well, maybe they're a bust. Guys, no, no. It just simply takes some time to let things develop. Will Riders is your quarterback. Chance Lovertich is your backup. You know, and I think Will Rogers will start this weekend. I think Will's going to play well. And I think we'll do a good job moving the football against Vanderbilt. And so we'll come back on Friday. We'll preview the rest of the weekend. It's a slow weekend. It won't be the, what nearly as fun as it has been the last two weekends. It's a slow weekend in the SEC. Remind you, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. 
pre-order your copies of Dogpile. Get as many as you want, and uh, we'll do our best to fill those orders. And uh, I will sign and personalize upon your request your copies. And uh, don't have an actual release date yet. They continue to tell me it'll be November. I was hoping it'd be October. I don't control that. You know, the supply chain affects everything. And, and yeah, I used to think, oh, that's just an excuse, right? Until it happened to me. And so, like, I'm working hard 18 hours a day, six days a week for the better part of two months to get that book out and off the print. And uh, got done in August. And now here we are nearly two months later after I finished writing the book and we don't have the book. And so a lot of it's because of a paper shortage. Now, we got plenty of copies of uh, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains in stock. And so you can visit that same website, dogpiletobook.com, and you can order those books, and we'll send them to you now. We'll send them to you when uh, Dogpile arrives. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and many of you are, I get a lot of messages from people that are saying, hey, I didn't see Blooms of Oleander on a Dogpile website. Well, you're not going to, but you can find it at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, booksandmegan.com, or order it through your local bookstore, which I highly recommend. I think you should have a favorite bookstore that is probably an independent that can take care of you. I believe in supporting local business and small business, and I hope that you do as well. Well, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Friday. Looking forward to that. And uh, tonight we'll have uh, coaches. Not sure exactly who we get. We're going to be able to, to talk to some Bulldog coaches uh, kind of about their preparations for Vanderbilt, and I'll share some of that with you on Friday. And if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, you should be. And, it, and at the very least, go like us on Facebook. We don't share any VIP content over there. So if you're looking for news about the Bulldogs and maybe you're not quite ready to take the leap and be a subscriber, just go like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. We're fun. We're a lot of fun because we cover Mississippi State. And it is a responsibility and an honor that I hold dear to my heart, and I will never, ever, ever take it for granted. And so give us a try over jeanspage.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>